Hello, everyone, and welcome to the History of Middle Earth podcast, where we dive deep into the history of Middle Earth. My name is Phil, and I will be your guide for today's adventure back to Middle Earth. Today's episode is brought to you by Jeffrey Wade. To start us off, we're going to be going over the coming days in Middle Earth history, starting with today, Wednesday in 3019. Gandalf comes to Edoras and heals Theoden. Also, the Antmoot ends in the afternoon, and the Ents make their march on Isengard and reach their destination at nightfall. Thursday the 3rd, in 3019, the Battle of the Hornburg begins, and the Ents claim victory over Isengard. Friday, Gandalf returns to Helm's Deep with Arrowhirim, and they make their final charge to victory. And Saturday is when Pippin steals the Palantir, and Gandalf takes him to Minas Tirith. And the last day, Tuesday the 8th, is when Aragorn takes the Paths of the Dead. Now for our main topic today, Herodrim and their Mumakil. Herodrim, or the Southrons, were men of Herod, descendants of the men who woke in the far eastern land of Hildorian at the beginning of the First Age. They are proud, doughty, and warlike people of the Herod in the south of Middle-earth. Ancient enemies of Gondor, they allied with Sauron during the War of the Elves and the War of the Ring. Eventually, many turned against Sauron when Manwë sent the wizards to the southern lands of Middle-earth. The ancestors of the Herodrim were the men who awoke in Hildorian during the Age of the Sun and stayed to the east of Middle-earth, not joining the migration of the Edain to the uttermost west. Then Morgoth, the original Dark Lord, came to corrupt them in his service while tricking them to abandon Iluvatar. A shadow ever lay over all of humanity wherein portions of the ancestors of Herod later began migrating after coming into conflict with other men that fell under the shadow. Still, some went west in search of the light of Valinor, and servants of Morgoth hunted them, but the majority of mankind refused, like the summons of the Valar and of Morgoth. The different peoples who moved to Herod, where the sun is fierce because they are barely, there are barely any clouds, played no role in the tales of the First Age. However, the sundering bereft them of the enlightenment and crafts that the elves may have taught them, which made them vulnerable to their two later woes, Sauron and the Dúdain. Historians of Gondor believe that the Druidain came from land south of Mordor, that they turned north into Athelion before they reached the coasts of Herod, and were the first men to cross the Anduin, possibly near Caraandros. At first, for many centuries, the Herodrim were independent peoples, generally isolated from the rest of the world. However, in the Second Age, they became increasingly caught between the ambitions of two great powers, namely Sauron and the Numenorians, a circumstance which lasted thousands of years. Sailing east, the Numenorians explored the coasts of Middle-earth, including the coastlands of Herod. The Numenorians initially benefited the natives they contacted by teaching them many things about agriculture and craftsmanship, and later made settlements on the southern coasts, including the construction of the great city of Umbar. After the reign of Tarkiritan, 
the Numenorians began to set themselves up as lords in Middle-earth as they demanded tribute of goods and wealth, causing the oppression of the Herodrim and other people whose lands included a coastline. Often, Herodrim were killed or sold into slavery. At first, Sauron didn't dare to challenge the Numenorians as they expanded their control over Herod until after the forging of the Rings of Power and the emergence of the Nazgul. Then, Sauron came as a ruler of almost all men east and south of the Ered Luin as both their king and their god. These men grew strong, and they built many towns and walls made from stone, and they were fierce in war and armed with iron. However, those of Herod who sought freedom and rejected Sauron would venture into the woods or mountains in fear of being pursued by him. In Second Age 1600, Manway sent two wizards to the southern and eastern lands of Middle-earth. The Valar suspected there was a rebellion of good Herodrim, but no leadership. Ultimately, they were very successful there in Herod. They arrived before Sauron's first war against the elves, and even on this war, the wizards had some influence. They became known as Morenatar and Romastemo. Because of their influence among the Herodrim, Sauron took a long time to attack Aregion, where his dominance and recruiting of forces was not entirely successful. In Second Age 3261, Arpharazon, the king of Numenor, landed at Ambar with a great fleet, and the people on the coasts fled before them. Arpharazon and his host marched through the Herod to meet Sauron's forces, but they fled from the Numenorians and Sauron allowed himself to be taken to Numenor, where he corrupted the king and his followers. Under Sauron's influence, the Numenorians became even more ruthless to the locals of Harad, enslaving them and using them for human sacrifices. In the following centuries, the Herodrim were influenced by Sauron and black Numenorians, those evil highmen who stayed in Harad and survived the downfall of Numenor. The Herodrim became enemies of Gondor, as the kingdom's southern borders were close to their lands. Shortly before the end of the age, two Numenorean lords, Heramor and Fwinner, rose to great power amongst the Herodrim. However, around the same time, the two wizards, always operating in the east and the south, were able to hinder Sauron's operations, leading to his defeat in the War of the Last Alliance. When Sauron's dominions of the Second Age fell, his demise in the War of the Last Alliance, the Herodrim were freed from his direct control, but not free from the effects of his long work corrupting them, to which evil and darkness for the West had set in their hearts. Additionally, some of the Herodrim and the other servants of Sauron turned from evil and became subject to the heirs of Elendil. The Great Cape and landlocked Firth of Umbar had been Numenorean land since the days of old, but it was a stronghold of the king's men, who were afterwards called the Black Numenorians, corrupted by Sauron, and who hated, above all, the followers of Elendil. After the fall of Sauron, their race swiftly dwindled or became merged with the men of Middle-earth, including those of Herod. There was even intermarriage, or Taranon Falaster, king of Gondor, married a hide-born black Numenorean lady from an inland city within Herod. She is remembered as Queen Beruthiel, however most black Numenoreans' intermarriage was with the Herodrim, 
and they became increasingly indistinguishable from the indigenous people. The Herodrim did not trouble the realms in exile for many centuries. When Gondor took the haven of Umbar from the Black Numenorians in the year TA 1015, they followed the Black Numenorians against Umbar to recapture it. Their great power was not enough against the sea power of Gondor. The attempts lasted for 35 years until TA 1050. Kirihar defeated the Herodrim force by sending troops by land. They acknowledged the overlordship of Gondor. The kings of Herod did homage and their sons were given as hostages in the court of the king of Gondor. The sons of Castamir and the others of his kin, having fled from Gondor in 1447, set up a small kingdom in Umbar and there made a fortified haven and later called themselves the Corsairs of Umbar. The Corsairs of Umbar continued to make war upon Gondor, attacking its ships and coasts whenever they had opportunity. Additionally, Castamir's progeny married women of Herod, continuing the Numenorean line of Elros, though which was spent after only three generations. Later, however, kings of Herod who were in league with Umbar rebelled against Don Gondor. In TA 1634, Menardil was slain at Pelargir by the Corsairs of Umbar, who were led by the great-grandsons of Castamir, Angamedi, and Sengahiando. Tulumatar, who raided his coasts even as far as Enphalas, gathered his forces and in 1810 took Umbar by storm. In that war, the last descendants of Castamir perished and Umbar was again held for a while by the kings. However, the Battle of the Plains that befell Gondor resulted in Umbar being lost again, wherein it fell to the hands of the men of Herod. The Herodrim later were allied with the Wayne Riders the Confederation of Easterlings, and the Men of Khan. During that time, they conquered Umbar. The simultaneous assaults from the north and the south brought the South Kingdom close to destruction. The Herodrim crossed the river Poros and South Athelion, but the southern army destroyed them. In later years, three great fleets were prepared in Umbar and Herod. Around the long winter, they assailed the coasts of Gondor and even Rohan. The Herodrim occupied Harandor, and there was a long fight along the Poros. Stirred by emissaries of Sauron, they attempted once more to invade Athelion in TA-2885, but a combined force of Gondorians and Rohirrim defeated them at the crossing of Poros. In the meantime, it was said that the two wizards, Moranitar and Romastemo, ensured that the forces of the east and the south did not outnumber the west, thus helping secure victory for the free peoples in the subsequent War of the Ring. At some time before the war, Gandalf also wandered in the south for unspecified errands and became known as Inca Nush among the suspicious Herodrim who saw him as a spy from the north. At the time of that war, the Herodrim were in league with Sauron and fought alongside his orc army. The Herodrim were among the forces led by the Witch King that attacked Osgiliath on June 20th, TA 3018, at the beginning of the war. More Herodrim continued to come Herod Road to Mordor, and regiments of Herodrim joined the host from Minas Morgul, marching to Pelennor Fields. 
Sauron's forces besieged Minas Tirith, and the Mumakil of Herod were used to bring forward war towers and siege engines to test the city's defenses. During the battle, the chief leader of the Herodrim army bore a standard of a black serpent on a red field, and he was later slain by King Theoden. The Herodrim rowdy rattied. The Herodrim rallied around their Mumakil, which the horses of the Rohirrim feared to approach. As the battle wore on, more Herodrim, including men from Far Herod, were sent onto the field by Gothmog. The Corsairs prevented, were prevented from reaching the battle, having been defeated by Aragorn and the dead men of Dunharrow. Herodrim also fought at the Battle of the Morannon on March 25th, where Sauron's armies of men, orcs, and trolls outnumbered the men of the West by more than 10 to 1. But as the battle ended, once the one ring was destroyed, it Mount Doom and Sauron was vanquished. The Herodrim held out long and were among the last of Sauron's forces to be defeated. Some of the Herodrim fled or surrendered, though others banded together in their hatred and fought on. After the War of the Ring, the newly crowned king of the reunited kingdom, King Elvisar, made peace with the men of Herod and completely subdued Umbar. Embassies traveled from Herod to Aragorn's court, and although Aragorn's reign was largely one of peace, it was occasionally necessary for him and Aomer, the new king of Rohan, to travel to the Southlands to maintain peace with Herod. It is possible that later generations of Herodrim, having the memory of the two wizards who wandered among them, followed magic cults that lasted long into the Fourth Age or even later. The, quote, fierce dark men of the south, quote, are various ethnicities and cultures. Some are organized into kingdoms as well. The Herodrim were described by a messenger as cruel and tall, and as well as a grim folk not easily daunted by shade or blade. Some of the men in the south had weapons of iron at the Battle of Pelnor Fields and bore mainly scimitars. Those of Herod had tamed the massive Mumakil beasts and used them in warfare, and like their masters, were decorated with scarlet and gold. They even strapped towers on their backs, used by the Herodrim archers and spearmen. The Herodrim then seemingly weaponized aspects of the Nazgul's black breath, or at least tipped it upon the arrows and darts during the last retreat before the city of Minas Tirith was besieged. The people of Far Herod were described as black-skinned, but there was also a group of them described as, quote, black men like half-trolls with white eyes and red tongues, and just troll men. It's unclear whether these were just large men who are being compared to trolls, or an implication that of crossbreeding between the two races. The Herodrim from near Herod were those most familiar and most closely encountered during the War of the Ring. When Faramir ambushed a company of Herodrim on the road north, Frodo and Sam witnessed a Herod warrior crashing at their feet, a man with, quote, brown skin with black plates of hair braided with gold, a scarlet tunic like the other Herodrim, and a gold collar. He was armed with a scimitar and garbed with a corslet of brazen scales. Their standards are scarlet, and their great beasts, the Mumakil, have scarlet and gold trappings. They carry around spiked shields painted yellow and black, 
one of the greatest chieftains of the Herodrim, also bore a black serpent as his emblem against a field of red. The weaponry employed by the Herodrim was dictated by factors such as lack of natural resources and the heat, or was so precious that it would not have been possible to manufacture swords or other heavy blades, and any steel weapons they had were likely just traded from their neighbors of the Easterlings, as well as the bronze armor that were found among some of the wealthier tribes. The Herodrim favored bows and spears, which they could also use to then hunt with. Although the 60-inch bows would have been made from precious supplies of wood, reinforced with wicker and the arrow, spear shafts, even the quiver, were made from bamboo. Tusk, bone, and obsidian were used for the arrowheads and spear tips, and coarse black feathers, perhaps crow or even vulture, for the arrow's flights. These roughly made arrows would have only a limited range and accuracy, perhaps only being effective to about 100 yards or so, and the Herodrim also carried a sword and a cruder version of the spear, which was pitchforked formed by cutting two spikes into a length of bamboo. The intense heat ruled out the use of heavy armor, and the level of protection differed among the tribes, with warriors wearing a combination of breastplate, backplate, and collar. These were all a composite of wicker, bamboo, stone, bone, and tusk all interwoven to form a, a light, yet fairly tough shell. From examples recovered from Pelennor Fields, it appears that the Herodrim also carried their personal wealth upon them, like obsidian shells, blue and amber beads, and even bronze attached or incorporated into their armor, and the beads were carved into skull shapes that may have been totems. When going into battle, they often wore masks made from hide, bamboo, or bone to further try and intimidate their enemy. They rarely carried shields because of the weight and the extreme heat, and their other armor was directed to protect them from the sun, so coarse dark red linen covered every inch of their bodies, with the bottom of the robe made of rough strips, and even their heads were swathed in dark red linen. Very little is known about the languages of Herod, though the word Mumak, the name of the great war elephants of Herod, is stated to come directly from a language of Herod. To the Gondorians, the voices of the Herodrim sounded harsh like shouts of beasts, albeit having a meaning in Quenya. The name Umbar is said to be adapted from the indigenous languages of Herod and not from Elvish or Adunaic script. Ganoff stated that his name in the south is Incanus, which apparently translates to alien, that is, which is neither Westron nor Elvish, nor explicable by the surviving tongues of any Northmen. A note in Thane's book states that it is a form adapted into Quenya of a word in the tongue of the Herodrim, thought Incanush, or possibly Incanus, meaning North Spy. Herodrim is a Sindarin name consisting of the elements Herod, meaning south, and Rim, meaning host, thus meaning south people, or southerners, or southrons, all commonly heard. Additionally, the elves named the land and its people Herodwaith, meaning south folk, from the Sindarin Herod, meaning south, and Gwaith, meaning people. 
the hobbits called the area Sunlins and the people Swerdings. Brangils is a Gondorian term for the people of Herod. Swerding derives from swart or swarthy. The elvish name seems to contain barin, meaning dark, swart, or dark brown, and possibly the suffix ill, also seen in ernil or prince. Now onto the Mumakil. Olafans were enormous animals, similar to elephants, used in the War of the Ring by the allies of Sauron. Olafans lived in the jungles of Far Hired, far to the south of any known maps of Middle-earth, or the herodrim called the Mumakil. Massive, often ferocious beasts, with their legs like trees and their bodies larger than the house, they had enormous sail-like ears and they had a long snout like a huge serpent. Somehow the Herodrim tamed them and the result was possibly the most brutally effective war beast that Middle-earth ever saw. The Herodrim strapped massive carriage-like tiered towers on the backs of the beasts and from these towers Herodrim archers and spearmen hurled projectiles down upon their enemies. The Mumak itself, enraged and goaded by its cruel Herodrim master, would then charge through enemy lines, trampling archers, swordsmen, and horses beneath its massive feet. Killing a Mumak was almost impossible, its rough leathery hide made arrows and spears relatively harmless, and any archer standing to take a shot would be an easy target for the archer on top of the Mumak. Horses had a natural fear of the Mumakil, so even the most skilled horsemen could not get close enough to strike at its great trunk-like legs. One of the only known ways to kill an Oliphant was to shoot it in the eye, which typically meant standing in front of it as it charged the archer, and thus make a very difficult task to perform. Due to their habitation in the far south, Oliphants were creatures of legend to the inhabitants of the Westlands. The hobbits had an old poem about Oliphants, which Samwise Gamgee recited to Colum in Athelion. On March 7th, TA 3019, Faramir led the rangers of Athelion on an ambush against a contingent of Herodrim marching north. This battle was witnessed by Frodo Baggins and Sam, and they saw an Oliphant full charge. The maddened animal had smashed its war tower during its charge while it rushed through the woods, now unguided it trampled soldiers of both sides until it disappeared from view and the rangers of Gondor, during all their ambushes of the Herodrim while they were assembling for Sauron, lost a large amount of their forces, and the rangers were credited with actually killing a Mumakil themselves. During the Siege of Gondor, beginning on 14 March, Oliphants were used to drag war towers and engines to be used against the walls of Minas Tirith. On 15 March, the subsequent battle of Pelennor Fields Oliphants were used as a rallying point for the Herodrim after the Rohirrim had charged into the fray. Eventually, all of the great beasts were killed as the forces of the west won the battle, but both Darufin and Duilin, the sons Duin here of Morthond, were trampled in the process. After the defeat of Sauron, when Frodo and Sam had been rescued and brought to the fields of Cormalan, Sam wandered into the glades near Henneth at noon hoping to see the Oliphant he had seen before, but to no avail. So there's likely a wild, now wild, Oliphant running around Athelion somewhere. Unless the rangers killed that one too. 
Although no complete Mumak skeleton has ever been found, but accounts found in both the Red Book and in other scrolls suggest that they stood between 50 and 100 feet tall, with four huge tusks and two smaller ones on each side of its mouth. When charging into battle, they bellowed and screeched at great volume, and the advent of their coming was preceded by thunderous din that shook the very earth. Virtually nothing is known about how the Herodrim got their towers, and how the Herodrim actually captured or tried taming this monster other than torture, or how they managed to the great bamboo and canvas towers on top. Presumably, they were able to coerce it into kneeling or lying down so that team could haul the huge framework into place, tying it under the belly of the beast. Hanging from the harness were ropes that the Herodrim used to climb up into the frame and take up their positions on platforms. Their elevator position allowed them to target an otherwise hidden enemy and gave their arrows and spears slightly increased range. They also hung long banners from the frame and their, their red and black colors depicting the Eye of Mordor and the Snake of the East. Among the tribes of Herodrim, a Mumak would have been literally a huge status symbol and there would have been great competition among the tribes to possess one. It is likely that the competition led to frequent tribal wars as well. The Mumak would have moved with the tribes as they traveled across the desert, which was quite often since they were more nomadic people, but would also exhaust the available resources like food and water. A dead Mumak was almost as valuable as a living one, being that it would have provided the tribe with a mountain of resources such as tusks, bone, hide, dyes, sinew, and meat that could be salted, keeping the tribe food for months and giving them opportunities to re repair or replace or create new armor. After their destruction at the hands of the dead men of Dunharrow, Mumakil were never seen again in the fertile lands of Middle-earth. And there you have it, the history of Herodrim and Mumakil. No questions this week, but I feel like there was one or two, so if you did send in a question and I didn't go over it, um, try sending it in again. Unfortunately, the podcast, both the podcast email and the contact us tab on the website get slammed with spam and other random stuff, so things can tend to get lost in the pile of messages. But I did receive an email from Kevin Allen that was just a encouraging email, so thank you for that. And he also was telling me about a Tolkien book that he wanted to share with me that I figured I would then share with you all, just in case you all would find it interesting. It says, also, I recently found a book, short story, by Tolkien that apparently the tale of Turin was based off of. The short story is called The Story of Kulervo, and it was inspired by a collection of old folk poems from Finnish lore. Tolkien stumbled upon them early on and was infatuated with them. It was the Finnish version of what he wanted for England as far as lore and legends go. I thought I would share in case you're interested in the story. So there you go. Again, the story is called The Story of Kulervo, spelled K-U-L-L-E-R-V-O, if anyone wants to learn more about that. So thank you for the heads up, Kevin. I will definitely have to check that out because I don't 
believe I've seen that before. Lastly, we did a poll to see as we finish up these last several episodes of the Lord of the Rings series of which direction we were going to go, whether we go more into The Hobbit or The Silmarillion. And The Silmarillion overwhelmingly won a large majority of the votes, pretty much took off right away and held a very strong lead. Um, I was almost leaning towards The Hobbit a while ago, but between you all saying Silmarillion and the new Lord of the Rings series dropping later this year, I feel like going with The Silmarillion will be best because it may help explain even more as we go in through the second age with the TV series. So that is it for this week's episode. If you do want more content, check out our Facebook page, History of Middle Earth Podcast. We also have a Facebook group where you can post random Lord of the Rings stuff or similar things and talk with people. And we're on Instagram at History of Middle Earth Pod and our Discord page where you can listen in and chat with me during recordings, which I need to get better at announcing when they are actually going down. But you can find our Discord page under History of Middle-Earth Podcast. If you liked the episode, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review. If you have any questions, send them in through either the Contact Us tab on our website, ministeryeartharchives.com, or send them to our email, ministeryeartharchives at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you back next time. I'm your host, Phil, and you're listening to the History of Middle-Earth Podcast. The Herodrim rallied around the Mumakil, which the horses of the... What? A mumak, an oliphant, the giant elephants. Oh, okay. I think mumakil is a way better. Mumukil? Like a mammoth, but a mumu sounds like a slaughterhouse. Mumma. Mumu. Oh, mumai. Mumma. Mumakil. Sorry. The Herodrim. The Herodrim rallied around their mumakil, which my wife finds is the funniest word in the world, apparently. Which no, which the horses of the Rohirrim feared to approach.